Chapter Nine, Part One of A Common Story by Ivan Goncharov, translated by Constance Garnett, eighteen sixty one to nineteen forty six. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter Nine, Part One. Wednesday arrived. Twelve or fifteen guests were gathered together in Julia Pavlovna's drawing room four young ladies two bearded foreigners who had made the hostess acquaintance abroad and an officer formed one group apart from them in an easy-chair was sitting an old man obviously a retired military officer with two tufts of grizzled hair under his nose and a number of decorations in his buttonhole he was arguing with an elderly man about some impending contract in the other room an old lady and two men were playing cards at the piano was seated a very young girl another was talking to a student the Ottawafs made their appearance few men knew how to enter a drawing-room with such ease and dignity as pyotr ivanitch after him with a certain air of indecision walked alexander what a contrast there was between them one a whole head taller well-built stout a man of robust temperament with self-confidence in his eyes and manners but not by a single glance nor gesture nor word could one guess the thought or character of pyotr ivanitch all was so veiled by his polished manners and power of controlling himself it seemed as if even his gestures and glances were the result of calculation in alexander on the contrary there was every sign of a weak and soft temperament and in the changing expression of his face and a certain indolence or slowness and unevenness in his movement and his lack-lustre eyes which at once revealed what emotion was agitating his heart or what thought was stirring in his head he was of medium height but thin and pale pale not by nature like pyotr ivanitch but from the continual agitation of his feelings his hair did not grow like his uncle's in bushy thickness on his head and cheeks but hung down over his temples and on his neck in thin weak but exceedingly soft and silky locks of a light-coloured bright hue the uncle presented his nephew but is not my friend surkov here asked pyotr ivanitch looking round with surprise he has forgotten you oh no replied their hostess he often comes to see me you know except my late husband's intimate friends i scarcely see any one where is he then he will be here directly only imagine he has promised my cousin and me to get us a box without fail for to-morrow's performance though they say there's not a chance of getting one and he has gone about it and he has got it i will answer for him he is a genius at that he will always get one for me when no influence or favour are of use how he manages it and with what money is his secret surkov came in his clothes were new and in every fold of his linen in every detail was clearly discernible the pretension to be a dandy to excel in every fashion and even to excel the fashion itself well have you got it sounded from all sides surkov was just going to answer but catching sight of adouev and his nephew he suddenly paused and looked at them with surprise he suspects said pyotr ivanitch sotto voce to his nephew he pointed out of window at the house opposite remember that the vases are yours and be bold he added have you tickets for the performance to-morrow surkov asked madame taphaev going up to her with an air of triumph no 
permit me to hand them to you he continued and repeated the whole speech of zagoretsky from sorrow from wisdom the officer's lips were slightly relaxed in a smile Pyotr ivanitch looked meaningly at his nephew and julia pavlovna blushed she began to invite Pyotr ivanitch to her box i am very grateful he said but i shall be in attendance on my wife at the theatre to-morrow but let me present a young man as a substitute he indicated alexander i should have liked to ask him too we are only three my cousin and i he will make a good substitute for me as well said Pyotr ivanitch and for this scapegrace too if necessary he pointed to surkov and began to say something in an undertone to her she twice stole a look at alexander and smiled while she did so thank you replied surkov only it would have been as well to have proposed such an exchange a little sooner before the tickets were taken i would have considered then how i should be replaced ah i thank you very much for your kindness said the hostess quickly to surkov but i did not invite you to the box because you have a stall you certainly prefer to be just opposite the stage especially at a ballet no no you are making fun of me you did not think that give up a place by you not for anything but it is already promised how to whom monsieur rene she indicated one of the bearded foreigners oui madame ma face c'est honneur the latter promptly murmured surkov gazed open-mouthed at him and then at madame Tafeyoff. i will change with him i will offer him my stall he said you can try the bearded one gesticulated the negative in every limb allow me to thank you said surkov to pyotr ivanitch with a sidelong look at alexander i am indebted to you for this don't mention it but won't you care to use my box there are only two of us my wife and i you have seen nothing of her for a long while you may pay your court to her surkov turned his back on him in vexation pyotr ivanitch quietly took his leave julia made alexander sit by her and talked to him for a whole hour surkov broke in on the conversation several times but always in some infelicitous manner he began to make some remark about the ballet and received the answer yes when it ought to have been no and vice versa it was clear that she was not attending to him then he made a sudden transition to oysters expressing the conviction he had eaten in the morning a hundred and seventy and did not even receive a glance he uttered a few commonplaces more and as nothing came of it seized his hat and stood about close to julia so that she might observe that he was not pleased and was preparing to take his leave but she did not notice it i am just off he said at last expressively good-bye his ill-concealed annoyance was perceptible in his voice so soon she replied let us see you to-morrow in the box if only for one minute what treachery one minute when you know that i would not give up a place by you for a place in paradise if it were a place in a theatre i believe you now he did not want to go his vexation vanished at the friendly words julia had uttered at leave-taking but every one had seen him make his bow he had to go however unwillingly julia pavlovna was twenty-three or twenty-four years old pyotr ivanitch's surmise had been correct she was in fact of a nervous temperament but this did not prevent her from being a very pretty clever and graceful woman but she was timid dreamy sensitive like most nervous women her features were soft and refined her glance mild and always thoughtful often sad without reason or if you like by reason of her nerves 
her views on life and the world were not at all optimistic she reflected on the problem of her existence and arrived at the conclusion that she was not needed here the bright side of life quite escaped her notice at the theatre she always chose to see a tragedy seldom a comedy never a farce she was deaf to the strains of any lively song which chanced to reach her she never smiled at a joke at times her face expressed exhaustion not the exhaustion of suffering or of illness but rather a luxurious exhaustion one could see she had been through an inward conflict with some seductive dream and had been too weak for it after such a conflict she was a long while silent mournful and then all at once would fall into an unaccountable liveliness of spirits always preserving her characteristic temperament however what made her lively would not have made any one else lively all her nerves how well you have divined me said madame taphaev to alexander at parting no man not even my husband has been able to understand my character fully the fact was that alexander was not far from being of the same type himself no wonder he felt in his element with her au revoir she gave him her hand i hope now you will find the way here without your uncle she added the winter came it had been alexander's habit to dine with his uncle every friday but four fridays had now gone by without his making his appearance nor did he come any other day instead lizaveta alexandrovna grew vexed Pyotr ivanitch grumbled at his keeping them waiting half an hour beyond dinner-time for him for nothing meanwhile alexander was not without occupation he was carrying out his uncle's commission surkov had long ago given up going to madame taphaev's and declared everywhere that all was over between them in a stormy interview with pyotr ivanitch he complained bitterly of alexander's treachery and informed the uncle that his nephew was head over ears in love with madame taphaev and spent his whole time with her surkov had not spoken falsely alexander loved julia almost with dread he had felt the first symptoms of this passion as though they were the symptoms of some plague he was tortured both by fear and by shame fear of being again at the mercy of all the caprices of his own and of another's heart shame before other people above all before his uncle he would have given a great deal to be able to hide it from him was it long only three months back since he had so proudly so decisively forsworn love had even written in verse an epitaph on this disturbing passion which his uncle had read and above all had shown openly his contempt for women and all at once he was again at a woman's feet he would gladly have run away to avoid his new passion but how could he run away what a contrast between his love for nadinka and his love for julia his first love was nothing more than an unfortunate mistake of a heart which craved for food and at that age the heart has so little discrimination it takes what comes first but julia she was not a capricious child who did not understand him or herself or love she was a woman in full maturity weak in body but ardent in spirit for love she was all love she recognized no other conditions as needful for happiness and life people say love is a pastime no it is a gift and julia had a genius for it this was the love he had dreamed of a love conscious intelligent but still overmastering eating nothing outside its own sphere like a rightful sovereign he had stepped proudly into possession of the wealth that was his heritage and had been recognized with submissive loyalty what consolation what bliss 
thought alexander to know that there is a being in the world who wherever she may be whatever she may be doing is remembering me is bending all her thoughts all her occupations all her actions to one end and one idea that of her beloved one it is like a second self whatever he hears or sees whatever he comes near or comes near him every impression is confided to the other his second self the impression is shared by both both teach the other and then the impression confided in this way is received and imprinted on the soul in indelible characters the second self would renounce her own sensations if they could not be shared or adopted by the other she likes what the other likes and hates what the other hates they exist inseparably in one thought one feeling they have one spiritual sight one hearing one mind one soul julia loved alexander still more fervently than he did her she was not even conscious of the full force of her passion and did not meditate upon it she was in love for the first time that would have been nothing for there is no real falling in love a second time but the misfortune was that her heart had been overdeveloped to an impossible degree cultivated by romances and prepared not so much for first love as for that romantic passion which exists only in some novels not in nature and which therefore is bound always to be unhappy because it is not possible in fact she could never imagine a calm simple love without tempestuous demonstrations and excesses of tenderness hence arose the romanticism in which she created a world of her own directly anything in the real world was done not in accordance with the canons of her world her heart rose in revolt and she was wretched her feminine organization weak enough without this strain endured a shock often a very violent one repeated emotions shook her nerves and at last reduced them to a state of complete derangement this is the reason of the pensiveness and melancholy without cause the pessimistic view of life in so many women this is why the order of human existence marvellously and harmoniously framed and carried on according to immutable laws seems to them a heavy bondage in a word this is why they are frightened by reality she had been educated on french novels music and theatre going at eighteen she had first tasted the sweetness of russian poetry and her imagination was in quest now of an onegin now of some hero of a masterpiece of the new school pale melancholy disillusioned when she had been displayed to the world in the drawing-rooms with a constantly melancholy gaze an interesting pallor an ethereal shape and slender foot she attracted the notice of tafeyoff a man with every qualification of a suitor that is to say of respectable rank good circumstances with a decoration on his breast in fact with a career and a fortune the pale melancholy girl through some strange inconsistency in his robust temperament made a strong impression on him he retreated from the cards at evening parties and fell into unwanted reverie gazing at the half ethereal shape that flitted before him when her languid glance fell of course accidentally upon him tried fencer in drawing-room conversation as he was he grew abashed before the timid girl attempted to say something to her sometimes and could not this annoyed him and he resolved to act with more decision through the medium of several aunts his inquiries concerning her dowry seemed fairly satisfactory why we are well matched he argued with himself i am only forty-five she is eighteen with our fortunes more than two can live comfortably as to externals she is rather pretty 
and i am what is called presentable yes we are a suitable match and so directly julia had emerged from childhood there met her at the very first step a most grievous actuality an ordinary husband how far removed he was from those heroes created for her by her fancy and the poets she had passed five years in this weary dream as she called marriage without love and suddenly freedom and love had appeared she smiled and stretched out her arms to fold it in feverish embraces and abandoned herself to her passion as a rider at a fast gallop abandons himself to his horse he is borne along by the powerful beast heedless of distance breathless with all things racing past with the wind blowing fresh in the face the heart is almost overmastered by the voluptuous sensation the romantic moment of life had come at last for her she began to love that bitter-sweet shudder of the soul to seek emotion for its own sake to devise both torture and bliss for herself she had become a slave to her passion as men become the slaves of opium and eagerly drank the sweet poison End of chapter 9, part 1, recording by expatriate in Bangor, Maine.